took took precedence over um, this. So uh, forgive us today, but the Lord's business um, took precedence over this today. Of course, it's all the Lord's business, but something else came up today. So and as soon as we are live on Facebook, I will share and we will get started. Again, we are studying from Testimonies for the Church, Volume 1, Chapter 102, and Paragraph 573.1. Okay, let me share this live feed. And okay, we're going to pray before we get started. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for another day, for another Sabbath day. We thank you for this opportunity to continue our study, Lord. And uh, we ask for the presence of your Holy Spirit as we study, that we may glean the principles of truth from this study, Lord, that these principles will abide in us and change us, Lord, and help us, Lord, to lead a better life, but also more so help us to gain a closer walk with you and help us to, um, to amend and change our lives so that we lead lives that are pleasing to you. And we lead lives, Lord, that will help us to gain your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, um, so we, we left off um, talking about um, how uh, Sister White and her husband had gone, uh, traveled about 50 miles away from uh, Battle Creek, uh, much to the disagreement of the church at Battle Creek. And, uh, but Sister White had felt called, her husband was very sick at the time, but Sister White had felt called uh, to go and um, to see about the church there. And uh, she reminds me of the Apostle Paul, how he traveled to the various the, the various churches to strengthen the churches. And she felt a call to go to the church and rather than to uh, let her husband just languish away at home, which kept her also at home, she felt the call to get him out. And, and, uh, and of course, as she got him out and about, even though he wasn't strong enough to do uh, the work that he had done, you know, consistently in the past, it did help him to start regaining his strength. And he was able to assist her in the work. Um, and um, so she then goes into a dream that she had. And um, she said that there was a brother from New York who had returned with his wife and daughter to Battle Creek. And she said that, um, but he was not in a state of mind to give a, a correct report of the work that they were doing at Wright City or to help the feelings of the church at Battle Creek. Now, again, the church at Battle Creek was in disagreement with her and her husband as far as taking him in his sick condition to go do the work. And um, she said that the facts have since come to light that it appears that he injured the church and the church injured him in their mutual enjoyment going from house to house and taking the most unfavorable views of their course and making it the theme of their conversation. So basically they just basically talk bad about them from house to house. And, uh, and she says about this time that this work was going on, that they were talking badly about them from house to house. She said she had a dream. What was the dream that she had? Anybody? Anybody? 
Well, she t- she talked about in the next paragraph about her dream as she was, I think, I don't want to say she, she was confronted to knowing that those so-called church members uh, didn't seem to be uplifting them, but was still tearing them down mm-hmm. as far as criticizing. And mm-hmm. she felt like that, you know, she had a calling to go out with her and her husband. And she says uh, that even though his mental and physical powers wasn't as great, they, they wasn't as great as they should have been, that, you know, it still hurt them to know that the church was, they had church members that were speaking against them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And she goes on to say it made her heart sick. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And instead of being encouraging and understanding about the fact that he was really sick at that point and he wasn't basically of sound mind at that point, you know, they just they just really talked about him basically like a dog. And she was just really, really upset about that. And so then she talked about basically the angel that was showing her this stuff and the attendant, so to speak, that was showing her this stuff. And what did the attendant tell her down at the bottom of that paragraph? What did the attendant tell her when she really just wanted to turn away from this? What did the attendant tell her? At the very bottom. You said at the end of the paragraph? Uh Uh-huh. You must listen and you okay. must know. Uh-huh. Yep. Even if it was hard. You must listen. Mm-hmm. So you must hear this because you must know what they're saying about you. Well, why do you think the attendant was adamant that she had to hear and she had to know what they were saying about her? Well, why as you- we studied last quarter, that was a crucible that was going to be placed in front of her. Mm. Also, um, if if they were close to her, close to her heart, they may have some influence on her, and their influence would not be motivated by the right spirit. Mm. So she needs to fully understand who she was dealing with. Ah, that's that that's that's an interesting thought. Hmm. And she thought and they were her closest, dearest friends. But the guy was, re- he really believed his intention wasn't a hurt. He was earnest in his report. He believed what he was saying, mm. even though it was incorrect. Mm. Huh. The, the Lord once, I was thinking, I think it may have said a little further down, that the arm of flesh would fail you. That, you know, she couldn't put her trust in anybody but God. Mm. You these people were, they were very close to her. And she considered them like family. Mm-hmm. And they were tearing her down behind her back. Hmm. And the person that was with her, which I'm, I'm thinking was an angel of the Lord, basically told her and kept repeating to her, if these people that were talking about them like this would only engage with as much zeal and earnestness in conversation about their redeemer, dwelling upon his matchless charge, his disinterested benevolence, and his merciful forgiveness, his pitiful tenderness to the suffering, his forbearance and inexpressible love, how much more precious and valuable would be the fruits of this. You know, it's interesting how 
uh, bad news travels so quickly, but good news just stays where it is. <laughs> you know? You. What'd you say? Did somebody say something? Amen. No. Oh. <laughs> And um, then she said to the, the, her, her companion that was in the dream, she said that she was talking about her husband at that point, And she was saying that her husband had not spared himself. That's why he was so sick, because he had not spared himself at all. And he had just given and given and given of himself to save souls. And he, the burden that he had stood under was so heavy that it had crushed him. It had literally crushed him. And he was broken physically and mentally. And then now these people who were gathering up these words and acts to use them against him to just destroy, utterly destroy him. And his influence was just cruel and wicked. It was just cruel and wicked. And it just says a lot about human nature that, you know, and, it, and, and that goes uh, along with a lot of famous people, people, famous people that, uh, put up on this high pedestal. People love to come along and just knock them off of that high horse. They love it. <laughs> and that, that's, that's just something cruel about human nature. They love it when people are just giving their all to you, so to speak, or other, you know, <laughs> public or whatever. They love to come along and, and knock you down off of your high horse, so to speak. And, Amen. Um, hmm. And then the person that accompanied her, which again, I'm thinking is an angel, said that the conversation with Christ and the characteristics of his life are the themes dwelt upon, will refresh the spirit and the fruit will be unto holiness and everlasting life. And then he quoted these words. What are the words that he quoted? Uh, it says, uh, okay, he said the words that he quoted. Mm -hmm. Oh, who, um, whosoever, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are in good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that is so interesting. You know, when my boys were little, I used to. I printed that scripture out and I had it, I, I taped it on every room door. And so mm -hmm. I dare say they probably know that scripture now. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. I hope they know it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so, you know, when you, when you think about life and you think about all the things that go on in this world, you know, if you start comparing stuff to this, this scripture, then there's a lot. And, and if you actually live by this scripture, there's a lot of things you would just dismiss, you know? And then she said that this scripture so impressed her that she actually, I guess, basically spoke on these things the next Sabbath. And so uh, any, any other comments behind that, that paragraph? If not, let's move on down. She says that her labors in Wright City were very wearing and taxing upon her. And so she cared for her husband by day who was still sick. And then sometimes in the night and she 
she gave him baths, took him out for rides and, uh, or, or, or walked with him. And then at night she uh, dictated his reports for the Review and Herald. And then she also wrote many letters and many pages in the personal testimonies. And she wrote most of uh, testimonies for the church volume 11. And then she was visiting and speaking as often and as long and earnestly as she did. So woo, she was doing a lot during that period. <laughs> I don't know how she did it all. Um, and then she said that the people that they were staying with fully sympathized with her and her trials and labors. And they watched over them and took care to supply all their wants and needs. And she says that their prayers were frequent, that the Lord would bless the people, mm -hmm. the, the root family uh, and, and bless them. And she said that she felt that a special blessing would follow them. And even though apparently after they left the root household, sickness had come upon them, yet they had learned that, that, um, that apparently the sickness only lasted for a short time and the root family enjoyed better health than they had before. And she said that his wheat fields were producing like 27 bushels to the to the acre and sometimes 40 while those around him the farmers around him their fields were only producing seven bushels to the acre so the lord had truly truly blessed this family for taking them in and um taking them in and providing for them and caring for them during this period of time that's a big difference um seven bushels to the acre versus 27 and sometimes 40 bushels to the acre so you know, I was looking at that and I thought about where she says she had prayed for them that the Lord would bless them, mm -hmm. but then they ended up getting sick. And sometimes many of us would think, oh, the prayer wasn't answered. The Lord didn't bless them. But then mm -hmm. it points out that these people were now better health in better health than they were before. Mm -hmm. And they also had temporal or earthly blessings just as well. So mm -hmm. sometimes our prayers don't don't look like they're being answered to us, but God has many ways of blessing people and he blesses people in the way that he knows is best. Mm -hmm. And maybe they were going to get sick anyway, and maybe their prayers cut the sickness short, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Maybe that was in the lineup for them anyway. We just never know, you know, um, what's up with that. Uh, let's see. Then it says they went on to, um, they left Wright City and went to uh, Greenville in Montcalm County, a distance of 40 miles away. And they stayed with Brother Maynard. And again, they were welcomed warmly into this, this uh, home and they stayed six weeks and they labored with the churches at Greenville and Orleans. And um, they had freedom to speak with the people there in those churches. And um, she said she became fully convinced that she had a testimony for the people, which she could bear to them in connection with the labors of her husband. And her faith was strengthened that he would yet be raised to help labor with her in, in the cause of God's work. And she said his labors were received there by the people. and He was a great help to her in the work. And she said that without him, she could not accomplish much. But with him, in the strength of God, she could do the work that was assigned to her and that the Lord sustained him in the efforts that he put forth. 
And that regardless of his feebleness, he trusted God and he gained his strength and improved with every effort. And so basically, as he was regaining his, his physical and mental vigor, her gratitude was so great towards the Lord. And because she had listened to the Lord saying, don't let him just languish at home, you know, get up and get him up. And the more he does, the stronger he will get, you know. And um, so she was so thankful. And so she began to engage anew and more understand the work of the Lord. And they begin laboring again unitedly in the closing work. Um, and you know, Sister Karen, this reminds me of when God was speaking in the Bible when he says that a prophet is not valued in his own, uh, I want to just put it in my words, in his own community. And the more I read this and kept, you know, reading over it, it seemed like to me that uh, Sister White felt like at her home church in, in Battle Creek, that, you know, she had a distance there as far as thinking, you know, what they should have, you know, reached out to her and like these other people did. And it seemed like to me that her own church didn't, didn't feel, feel the need other than to criticize her. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah, and it could have been part of it could have been because she was a woman and she went against the, quote unquote, men, leaders and elders of the church, you know, and what they thought should be done. I don't know. Like um, a woman's supposed to be quiet and not seen. I mean, seen mm-hmm. and be quiet. <laughs> yeah. And and one of the consequences of her husband being sick and, and bedridden was that she was she was confined to the house to take care of him. And so um, there was not a lot she could do being confined to the house also. But she said now that, that he, she decided to go ahead and get him up and about, then she was freer to travel. And then they could both bear the solemn testimony which the Lord had given them. Um, any other comments on that? She said that next paragraph, 576.1, she talks about how in Wright, in Wright City, she has sent her manuscript for Testimonies for the Church, volume 11, to the office for publication. And she was improving almost every moment when she was out of the meetings to write out um, the volume 12. And she says that her energies, both physical and mental, had been severely taxed while laboring for the church in Wright City. And she believed that she should rest, but she didn't see any opportunity to rest. She was speaking to the people several times a week. She was writing many pages of her personal testimonies, and she felt that the burden of souls was upon her. And the responsibilities were so great that she could only obtain a few hours of sleep each night. And then she, she said that while she was laboring in this manner, that she relieved discouraging letters from Battle Creek. And she said that as she read them, she just got so depressed and just felt such agony of mind that just for a short period, she just, just seemed to really drag her down. 
And she said for three nights, she could scarcely sleep at all. Her thoughts were troubled and perplexed, but she said she concealed her feelings from her husband and the family that they were staying with. And nobody knew that she was so troubled. And even when they were having morning and evening devotion, and she said that she gave her burden to the Lord, she said, and she, every morning and evening, she would just wring her burdens out of, of anguish with the Lord. And she said her prayers were broken and disconnected because her grief was uncontrollable. And she said the blood rushed to her brain, frequently causing her to reel, reel and nearly fall. She had nosebleeds. And so she basically had to lay her writing aside because she just was just sick in her head. That's some kind of anguish. Like, right? um, and she just, she just wasn't able to um, write at that point. Um, you know, that was interesting is <clears throat> she was basically stressed out and discouraged and, you know, tired and worn, suffering from blood, um, nosebleeds and all those things. But it wasn't because she was uh, striving to become rich and famous or do things for herself. All that was happening because she realized that she had testimonies for others, which she was unable to present. So her burden mm -hmm. was for spreading the word of God and his testimonies. And that was what was causing her the problem was she was recognizing she wasn't able to do all that she wanted mm -hmm. for the Lord. Yeah. And then she got a letter, I guess, from the public publishing house telling her that they were going to they weren't going to publish volume 11 right now they thought it best to defer it and that um and what she had written out because she had written out uh based on their urging she had written out a, a maybe a few chapters about the health institute and they had basically told her that um um that they needed let me see let me, basically what they were going to defer that until she could write out more of, of what uh, she thought should be done as far as the Health Institute was concerned. So they wanted more basically about the Health Institute. And so she said she wrote out a portion of what was shown her in regard to the Health Institute, but she couldn't, she couldn't write out the entire subject at, at that point because of the nosebleeds and the pressure to her head and everything. And so. Um, so, you know, basically all of that had to be delayed. She sent the portion that, that she said she would not have sent the portion that she had sent if she had known that, that, that it would have to be delayed. Um, well, it sounds like white was simply under attack, demonic attack. Yes. Yes. Um, absolutely. 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 And, you know, I perhaps all of us have been subject to that when we, we know we're, we're following the Lord and doing what the Lord has asked us to do. And the devil comes in and he just he just starts attacking us from different, you know, avenues for no reason as, that we can see, you know. Amen. And. Uh, but that's the way he is. He just he just comes back that field trying to discourage us and trying to destroy our faith and our trust in the Lord. 
Um, and she says that after resting a few days, she thought she could again resume her writing, but she just found that it was impossible for her to write because her brain was just, she was under so much stress and pressure, I guess, that she just couldn't. And so she just had to um, give up for a while. Um, let's see. Then they decided to return to Battle Creek. Uh, she said, um, and that she would try to complete uh, volume 12 there. And she said on the way there, they held two meetings in Orange and had evidence that the church there was profited and encouraged. And they were refreshed there by the spirit of the Lord. And then that night she had another dream. What was her dream that night? This is in paragraph 577.2. What was her dream that night? She dreamed she was looking out the church, out the um, door and there was some people marching up to the house two by two and they looked really stern and determined and she knew them. But then when she looked back, it was a, a Catholic procession and one of them had a cross and a reed and the one with the reed circled the house, made a circle around the house saying, this house is prescribed. The goods must be confiscated. They have spoken against our holy order. Mm. Mm. And so then she says she basically dared not speak a word to them for fear of being betrayed. And she tried to seek a place to retire where she might weep and pray without meeting eager inquisitive eyes wherever she turned. And she repeated frequently, if, if I could only understand this, if they will tell me what I have said or what I have done. And she wept and prayed as she saw their goods being confiscated. And she tried to read the sympathy or pity for them in the looks of those around her and mark the countenances of several whom she thought would speak to her and comfort her if they did not fear that they would be observed by others. And she made one attempt to escape from the crowd, but seeing that she was watched, she concealed her intentions. And she commenced weeping aloud and saying, if only they would tell me what I have done or what I have said. And then her husband who was sleeping in the bed in the same room, heard her weeping aloud and woke her up and her pillow was wet with tears and a sad depression of spirits was upon her. Um, I had a question. Mm -hmm. um, earlier in this same um, this same paragraph where it says when she first looked, it looked like people that she knew and she was going to open the door to greet them. And then she looked again and saw this. These were stern, angry people and a Catholic procession. Do you mm -hmm. think that was some type of um, again, I'm going back to that whole demonic thing, some type of illusion? Mm. because she thought they were friends at first and was going to open the door and then she said I looked again and they were something else mm. that they were enemies mm. you know it may just go along with her earlier dream that she thought that these people that these people that she had been dealing with were trusted friends but it turns out they were not and they were robbing them of their emotional security and 
friendship and all of that. And then here come these other people behind them thinking that they were friends and they were coming and robbing them of their material possessions, you know? And so, cause that's all they really had left. You know, after the first dream, they robbed them of their emotional security and stability. And then here come these people robbing them of their worldly goods and possessions, you know? And I, oh, okay. I, I think that angel that was with her, uh, you know how they let they say that we shouldn't believe what what we actually see, and I think in her heart when she first looked, she you know she thought good that you know these are these are going to be people that's going to you know be with me, and I think the angel opened up her eyes and let her uh, take a second look to see now this is how Satan does he disguises himself, yeah. and so I really think that that angel was there. To, uh, watching what they were doing to uh, Sister White, and he opened up her eyes that second time before she opened it, opened that door. Yeah, and I think it goes back to don't trust what your eyes see, you know. But trust in the Lord, you know. So I'm thinking about, too, the people that <clears throat> she turned around and saw was uh, Catholic people, and um, I'm kind of thinking of the spiritual aspect of that, you know, like these people are in direct competition or um, opposition against Christ. You know, they are, are pretending like, like, like Satan said, I am, you know, as Christ is, I should be as important as he is. And then the head of that church says the same thing. So I don't know, maybe the message I was kind of getting is going along right with you guys that they look like friends. But they're not friends, but not only are they not her friends, but they're not friends of God. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Uh, let's see. Um, then she goes on to say uh, they went on to West Windsor, accompanied by the Howes, brother and sister Howe. And then they were welcomed by another family, brother and sister Carmen. And uh, then it says on the Sabbath and on that Sunday, they met with some other people from other churches in the vicinity and they were free to give their testimony to them and said the refreshing spirit of the Lord rested upon those who felt a special interest in the work of God. It says their conference meetings were good and nearly all bore testimony that they were strengthened and greatly encouraged. So in between all of this discouraging, these discouraging dreams that she had, it seems like the work was going well in the places that they were visiting. Um, and then they found themselves again back at Battle Creek after an absence of about three months. And it says that, um, on Sabbath, uh, March 16th, her husband delivered a message before the church on sanctification. And um, he also spoke with clearness in the afternoon. And then it says on that Sunday uh, in the morning, she bore, oh, he bore, he bore that message. And then says so she bore her testimony uh, on Sabbath the 23rd. And they spoke with freedom to the church in Newton and labored with the church at Convus the following Sabbath and then also on Sunday and then she said they they intended to return north and they went 33 miles but they were obliged to turn back on account of the condition of the roads and she said her husband was terribly disappointed at the cold reception that they met at Battle Creek and they were both she was grieved also um 
And then eventually they concluded their labor in Congress at Monterey until the roads were, could be improved. And then they spent the following Sabbaths at Congress. Uh, they came home to Battle Creek like a weary child who needed comforting words, encouragement. But it was painful to them that they, they were greeted with coldness by their brethren at Battle Creek, who three months before they had parted in perfect union, except on the point of them leaving uh, Battle Creek to go okay. the right side. Uh, and then she had another dream. <laughs> what was that dream when she went back to Battle Creek? No, I was going to add this, and it might not sound very nice, but her dream about the people at the door, mm -hmm. she, some of them she knew and thought they were her friends, but they weren't, mm -hmm. and that she was afraid of being betrayed by them. That mm -hmm. there are people in our churches now and also will be in the future just like that, and we'll be thinking they're our friends, and they'll be uh -huh. the ones to betray us. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's true. And then this dream that you're talking about that she had again, she says, I awoken and was astonished and indignant to find that my garments had been removed and there had been placed upon me old rags, pieces of bed quilt knotted and sewn together. And then she says, and she says, I said, I, what have you you've done to me? Who has done this shameful work of removing my garments and replacing them with beggars' rags? I tore the rags off and threw them from me. I was grieving and with astonished cried out, bring back my garments, which I have worn for 23 years. And I have not disgraced, I had not disgraced in a single incident, incident. And so she goes on to say, unless you give me back my garment, I shall appeal to the people who contribute and return my own garments, which I have torn 23, have worn 23 years. So she, she, like, I think Paula was, you know, I agree with Paula. The devil was just trying to, to, to get to her mental state and to the point that, you know, she's having a dream that they're ripping off her clothes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is an attack, really. I look at that as an attack on her righteousness at that point. So it went from, it went from, uh, it's almost like it was different layers of this, this attack on her, you know? And the last, the last dream she had, it seemed like, I'm trying to remember all three of her dreams right now. Um, what was the first, what was the first dream again? Um, Uh, the attack on, remind me of the first no, one. that's when she heard them talking about her. I thought was the first oh. one. Um, okay, oh, I thought they were really talking they, about her, huh? I'm trying to remember what I was relating it to. So it seems like the, the second one, what did I say? It was an attack on her. I'm trying to remember what was I relating it to. Oh, I lost my train of thought. Oh, well, anyway, this third dream then was seemed like it was an attack on her own personal righteousness almost, you know, that they took her garments away. The fact that she said it was, I've had this for 23 years. So that almost seemed like an attack on her personal righteousness, you know, 
and they stripped her of her personal righteousness, you know, and um, her decision to follow the Lord. And she said, give me, give that back to me, you know? And so um, it was like, they went from one level, an attack on her mental state to an attack on her personal belongings to an attack on her actual uh, decision to follow the Lord and go wherever the Lord le leads her, you know? Um, well, that's she was being really tormented at that point mm -hmm. because yeah. it, like you said, stripped away her righteousness. That's a violation, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Like you said, I could see it in uh, layers, like you said. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Also, Taryn, I think, too, um, if that the Lord was showing her, if these people wouldn't stop until they put you in here. Right. Right. All right. Oh, dear. Absolutely. Ooh. That is, you know... Mm. And that's just the beginning of sorrows. Think about that. <laughs> Ooh, mercy. You know, do you want to be living during the time of trouble? <laughs> or would you rather be resting in your grave? Uh, and that's just a rhetorical question. Nobody has to answer that. Oh, <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, and then she said she saw the fulfillment of this dream. She said at Battle Creek, they met with reports which had been put in circulation to injure them, but which had no foundation in the truth. And she said letters had been written by some making a temporary stay at the Health Institute and by others living in Battle Creek to the churches in Michigan and other states expressing fears, doubts, and insinuations in regard to them, which is, again, stripping away their righteousness and their and their their so-called righteousness, you know? And she said she was filled with grief as she listened to a charge from a fellow laborer whom she had respected and that they were hearing from every quarter things which she had spoken against the church at Battle Creek. She said she was so grieved she didn't know what to say. And she found a strong accusing spirit against them. She said, and she, she became fully convinced of the existing she said, as they became fully convinced of the existing feelings, she just felt homesick. She said they were so disappointed and distressed. And she said that she told two of their leading brethren that she did not feel at home. And that as they met distrust and positive coldness instead of welcome and encouragement, and that she had yet to learn that this was the course to pursue towards those who had broken down among them by overexertion and devotion to the work of God. He then said that they thought they should move from Battle Creek and seek a more retired home. And so she said, finally, as no one made an effort to relieve her feelings, she felt it her duty to call together a number of experienced brethren and sisters and meet the reports which were circulating in regard to them. So she, 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 she had a meeting to call them together. And what was the result of that meeting? Do you think that do, do you you think they were met with repentance and warm expressions of oh we're no, so sorry? No. <laughs> no, no, no way. <laughs> and you know, it, it you know, it's kind of like you and, and I don't know if any of you've experienced, but you know, when your friends kind of invite you to friends and family day at their church 
And, you know, when you sometimes when you walk into some of those churches and they know you're an Adventist, it's like you do get that cold feeling that, you know, oh, you know, they, they know I'm an Adventist, but, you know, I'm coming because I want that person when I invite them to my church to come. But you do get that kind of, uh, I guess when I say disconnect, because, you know, you got some looking like, hmm, here they come. Mm-hmm. And it is a coldness that they give. Mm-hmm. And, and Sister White was catching it from her own loving church. And she talks about how she thought, you know, especially this lady, you know, they were friends. And then you think about it, she's coming back home. And when you come in home, you think that's where love and affection is. And then you get all this stuff you're hearing again. And you're like, you know, I'm only doing what God has asked me to do. You know, don't y'all see this? It's not about me. It's about what God has asked me to do. Because I think as I read, and I, I hope I'm not jumping ahead, there was people that questioned her vision, even mm. her testimony. <laughs> I mean, they was trying to strip her down to nothing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, Pastor, also, home is where you're going to find your greatest conflict. Your brothers, your sisters, they know you. They mm. around you. They understand your weaknesses. They rarely acknowledge your strengths. Home is really, um, and I think church is really like a family. It really is like a family. When we think about family, we think loving and kind. But we also think, I think, irritating, conflict, you know, um, won't let let you grow, won't let you grow. You know, if you try to change, the family got something to say about it. You know, they got some some comment about it and stuff. Not all families are that way, but not all families are super loving and supportive either. You know, they, they're the main ones to be pulling, some of them, pulling you down, pulling at your coattail to get you to come right back down to where you were. In other words, keep you in your place because they don't want to see you or they're not used to you in a different role. So, Lakita, mm-hmm. how does that come into play with Jesus? It's like, yeah, your family knows you. Jesus never sinned. Mm-hmm. So his family knew he never sinned. So mm-hmm. why is it that his family, his brothers, never believed in him? Why is it that his town never believed in him? He never mm-hmm. But you know what? So it's not really about you then, right? It's about them. It's yeah. about people seeing what they want to see. People, he can give. Look, we hear it all the time, and I have to struggle with this myself. Um, I was hearing about a little boy. Who was it? It's a little girl or something. And they were giving um, their stuff away to their older brother. You know, allows him to take their stuff you know, he takes her stuff. He never says thank you. He don't allow her to play with her stuff, blah, blah, blah. You know, very giving, loving little heart. What do we say to that child? Don't let him play with your stuff. Quit, you know, quit playing with him. And we teach her how to be like, unchristlike in a way. And so uh, it's how you see what they want to see. You know, they could have seen his kindness and gentleness as a fault, as a problem. Because they probably was in the sound like they were in the hood. And I don't know if all that meekness and kindness was really valued. So I think they saw what they wanted to saw, did what they wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And then another thing too is this. Sometimes your goodness, 
magnifies other people's badness. The better you are, the worse they feel. And they're going to find something, even if they have to mess, even if they like, uh, this is a good example, Barack Obama and Trump. Mm. He couldn't find anything on Barack. So he mm. went to his birth. So they called him the birthers. Went to his birth that you're not really an American. You wasn't born in an American hospital or whatever it was. But because of his own badness and how bad he was, he, he, he scoffed at this man's goodness. And it's always really, it's always true about your family. And I think Paula mentioned it too. They know you, they know, and Lakita mentioned your, they know your weaknesses, your strengths. They know how they can get to get on your last nerve. All those things come into play. And it's always seems to be an opposite with, with home as well as with mother, the terms mother and father. It's opposites. One person will hear home and say, oh, it's great. Another person here home and say it was terrible. And it's not always roses, which is why they have the people say that, uh, quote, you can always go home, but why would you want to? <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so she called this group together. They listened, but they didn't repent. And they went away. They didn't really talk back to them, but they did not apologize either. Um, and so then the family found themselves in straight places financially. And it says that her husband never asked for money from anybody. They just tried to support themselves, but it says then their, their, their cow died and they really needed some help. And so they went and asked for help and they didn't receive any help. And because her husband was so, and basically because her husband had been so sick, um, they just, they were, they were in a, a bad place financially. And uh, they didn't get any help. And what, 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 what happened? What happened? What happened? In fact, they used that against him. Yeah. The fact that he was asking for money, they used that as an indicator that, that he, he was a good money. money. That he what? He was a poor money manager. Right. And also, they had offered him money before, but he didn't take it because he didn't want to be a burden on the church if he didn't have to be. Mm -hmm. They used that as an example. He should have taken it. Mm -hmm. But he didn't give him nothing. But that's still going back to me. They didn't have nothing to do with uh, Brother White, Elder White. That was about those people. You know, some people are just like jealous. I mean, they see you using your gift, being your being gifted, enjoying your gift, whatever that may be, whatever it is. It could be that you can just, you know, grow a flower. And they see you growing flowers and, and enjoying flowers and they're happy. Next thing you know, they all got lies going on about you, about how you hate flowers and how you're the worst flower person and don't let you around their grass or whatever. But it's not about you. This is a, a, the problem they have to overcome. Yeah. Yeah. But it hurts. It, it, it hurts. Just, it was just like there was just this mean spirit against them. The devil was just stirring up this mean spirit against them. And no matter what, 
It was just, 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 he was unrelenting, you know? Whenever God's servants are out doing his will, the devil's always fighting against him. And when we read these chapters about all the suffering and struggle that the whites went through because they were faithful to God. And even though the, uh, even though the, the brethren, so-called brethren, didn't see their devotion to God, God saw it and he marked it in heaven. So whenever we go through trial and tribulation to do God's will, maybe the people around us don't see it or acknowledge it. And they, you know, haters going to hate, but God marks it down in heaven and our recording angel marks it. Mm -hmm. uh, and then she says uh, down in paragraph 583.2, she talks about a... Um, I don't guess it was a dream this time, but it was like a, it was something that came to her mind, a vision, I guess, a portion of a vision. What was that? What was that about? Five eighty three point two. Anybody see that? I'm looking for the vision part. I see where um, no one relieved her of her bad feelings. You know, no one tried to support her or apologize or anything. And then the how she called together some brethren and sisters. But I don't. So it starts out. Five eighty three point two starts out with I was shown a cluster of trees. Anybody see that? Paragraph five eighty three point two. That's the vision. Hold on. Yeah, the trees forming a circle and over the trees was a vine. Uh-huh. And then That's the, the trees were swaying as though moved by a powerful wind and one branch and another was shaken from its support till the vine was shaken loose, except for a few parts still clean. And a person came up and cut the rest of the clean vines and it laid on the ground. Uh-huh. And so then what does she say about her angel? What does she say? Um, what did she experience as a result of that? She was uh, very, very um, upset about it. You ain't there yet. What do you mean? She said um, her distress and anguish of mind, and she saw the mind lying upon the ground was beyond description. And what did the people that passed by do? Kept going, acting like they didn't see nothing. And she kept waiting. Sitting me up on it, they looked at it pityingly, but they didn't do anything. And she she asked why nobody helped. And then she saw an angel come to this deserted vine. He spread out his arms and placed them beneath the vine and raised it so that it stood upright, saying. Stand towards heaven and let thy tendrils entwine about God. Thou art shaken from human support. Thou canst stand in the strength of God and flourish without it. Lean upon God alone and thou shalt never lean in vain or be shaken therefore. And then she says she felt inexpressible relief amounting to joy as she saw the neglected vine cared for. She turned to the angel and inquired what these things meant. And he said, thou art this vine. 
all this thou wilt experience. And then when these things occur, thou shalt fully understand the figure of the vine. God will be to thee a present help in time of trouble. And then she says, from this time, she will settle as to her duty and never more free in bearing her testimony to the people. She said, if I ever felt the arm of the Lord holding me up, it was at that meeting. Her husband was also free and clear in his preaching and the testimony of all was, we have had an excellent meeting. So basically the Lord showed her that whatever man may do, just keep your, keep your arm, your hand in mind. Basically, that's what I take from that. Yeah, also, I think too, when she said, I felt inexpressible relief of mine to join as I saw the, uh, she said, um, this would be a present for this time. Um, also, I think that she was kind of holding back a little bit, trying not to hurt her feel, feel feeling, trying to fit in, trying not to, you know, say the wrong thing. And then this year was he showed them that you're doing all that and look at what these people are doing behind your back. And mm. then, you know, you, the arm of flesh will fail you. I'm a person you can depend on. And I think that go, that's a good lesson for all of us, too, because we, too, as we spread God's word, are going to be forsaken by friends, family, co-workers, church members. But we can't allow that to stop us from doing God's will. And mm. remember that he's the one that upholds us. You know, mm. we, we're not here for a, a personality contest or congeniality contest. We're here to do God's will. And that when people do turn aside and go against us we have to stand on the word of god mm -hmm. and not be concerned so much like like the scripture says i i would rather obey god than man we can't put mm -hmm. all our faith in mankind because mankind is going to fail there are people mm -hmm. even now being shifted and shaken out of the church out of the out of uh reliance and dependence upon god and we mm -hmm. don't want to be with that group we want to stand firm upon the word of god mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I remember Elder Brown um, one time um, he read this section out of Sister White's writings and uh, it was about when Jesus moved from the holy place to the most holy place and there were a group of saints bowed down around him with him and when he moved from the holy place to the most holy place only a small group moved with him and the rest of them remained bowed down in the holy place. And they didn't even know he had moved. And that was just, I mean, it was amazing to me because the other ones didn't move because they hadn't kept their eyes on him. And the ones that moved, moved because they had kept their eyes on him. And that's what we have to do. We have to keep our eyes on him. Not on the people around us, not on what's going on around us. We have to keep our eyes on him. Uh, let's see. No, so you know what I, uh, comes to my mind with that too, um, Karen, is being content, <laughs> satisfied. I'm holy enough. I've done enough. I'm good enough right here. Mm. I don't have to go further. Mm-hmm. 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 Um, yep. And we should never get to that place where we feel like our righteousness is enough. <laughs> That's basically what you're saying. Mm -hmm. 
Or, you know, uh, Karen, God may be calling us to a higher standard, a higher place. Mm-hmm. But we, we, we know this right here. We're just comfortable here. And, and where we don't, you know, need to go any further. Mm-hmm. Or we can't see, you know, that what he's asking us to do will bring us closer to him or, or mm-hmm. improve our life in some kind of way. The thing about it is, and I've always heard this, is the closer we get to him, yeah, the further away we should feel. Yeah. You know, not mm-hmm. there's no point at which we feel satisfied in our righteousness. No, but you already know. Okay, let's see. Um Um, going down to the bottom of the last paragraph, she basically talks about um, how it's been a very disagreeable work for her to reprove private sins. Um, she didn't like doing it, but um, she says that if she were in order to prevent suspicions and jealousy to give a full explanation of her course and make public that which should be kept private, she would sin against God and wrong the individuals. Basically, um, they wanted, people wanted a full explanation of why she was doing it, what, what she was doing, and she refused to do that. She would privately tell people, you know, um, to reprove their sins, but she would not publicly make you know get up and make public statements about people's private sins and that's what people wanted or or people who had people who were not aware of people's private sins they that's what they wanted they wanted to be made aware of other people's private sins and she wouldn't do that and so she said that would be a sin against god and that would wrong the individual and so she said i have to keep private reproofs of private wrongs to myself locked in my own breast let, us, let others judge as they may. I will never betray the confidence reposed in me by the erring and repentance or reveal to others that which should only be brought before the ones that are guilty. I told those assembled that they must take their hands off and leave me free to act in the fear of God. And I left the meeting relieved of a heavy burden. And so, you know, what good is it to tell other people? God, God reveals certain things to her and she would go to those people themselves and, and relate it to them. And certain people felt like she was wrong and just going to those people themselves. She should bring it before the church, I guess. And she refused to do that. And basically she was saying, look, <laughs> I'm not going to do that. So, you know, forget that. <laughs> and... I think she was right in that because that would have done nothing but just create a bunch of mess. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and those people couldn't do nothing about it anyway. Right. And then it'll be judgment on her judgment. Like, is she right. right? You know, and how did you know? Right. And then, you know, it's just more work for her. Right. Right. Yep. Oh, yeah. Yep. All right. So that concludes this chapter. Were there any other comments? Or anything anybody wanted to point out? Okay, well, if not, Lee, where are we next week? Next week, we're on 
I mean, the book Christian Service, it's actually chapter two, but it's sub-chapter is Satanic Death Stupor. Satanic Death Stupor. And it starts out, God's people must take warning and discern the signs of the times. Okay, I'm trying to write it down so I can remember it. <laughs> Not quite. Okay, uh, Lakita, would you pray us out? Okay. Most honorable Father, in the blessed name of Jesus, how grateful we are that you love us and care for us, Lord. We praise your holy name for the gift of the um, spirit of prophecy. We ask Lord, that the, um, we know that these things are written for an example to us and to show us how to handle and uh, manage our own lives, dear Lord. And we uh, thank you for the promise that although others may forsake us, other people may try to take everything from us, including our righteousness, Lord. But you will not allow that because you love us and you um, care for us. And so that you will be, as long as we make you our refuge, as long as we turn to you and keep our minds and eyes safe on you and be willing to follow you wherever you go, we can trust you completely and not worry about what man can do to us. So we praise your holy name. We ask that you help us continue to enjoy this awesome Sabbath that you prepare for us and lead us, guide, direct our footsteps. In the name of Jesus, we pray and praise you always. Amen. Amen. Thank you all for joining us and we will see you again next week.